0: I'm glad you made it safely here. Roads were pretty bad traveling north here. It got a little better when I got to 480, but uh, some cars had swerved off the road, and maybe you saw some of that too. Uh, But I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad you're safely here. Um, We're going to continue our study on the book of Revelation chapter 14, though we just heard a reading out of chapter 7, but it is about the 144,000. And we want to talk enough about it today to talk about the seal of the living God and the 144,000. Okay? Try to get to, to both of those. I know there are some varying opinions about the 144,000. Who are they? Um, uh, when do they live? Who's all included in that? Um, the seal of the living God, what's that? And to me, I, I just want to read you uh, a couple paragraphs here, and then we're going to go through this paragraph. Because I think it's the, the clearest statement that I know that gives eight identifying marks of the 144,000. It really pinpoints when they exist, okay? So let me read this. I'll try to put a little emphasis on it, but there will be eight things that we'll cover up here that will identify who they are and when they are. And this comes from the great book, Great Controversy, page 648, 649. Upon the crystal sea, before the throne, that sea of glass, as it were, mingled with fire, so resplendent is it with the glory of God. Are gathered the company that have gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name. With the Lamb upon Mount Zion, having the harps of God, they stand, the 144,000 that were redeemed from among men. And there is heard as the sound of many waters... And there's the sound of a great thunder, the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sing a new song before the throne, a song which no man can learn save the 144,000. It is the song of Moses in the land, a song of deliverance. None but the 144,000 can learn that song, for it is the song of their experience, an experience such as no other company have ever had. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These, having been translated from the earth, from among the living, are counted as the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. These are they which come out of great tribulation. They have passed through the time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation. They have endured the anguish of the time of Jacob's trouble. They have stood without an intercessor through the final outpoint of God's judgments. But they have been delivered, for they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. In their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before God. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And they that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They have seen the earth wasted with famine and pestilence, the sun having power to scorch men with great heat. And they themselves have endured its suffering, hunger, and thirst. But they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto the living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. So in that paragraph, and, uh, there are eight identifying marks. Where do I point it? This way? Oh, you're up there. Okay. All righty. The first thing we realized in this description is the 144,000 have victory over the beast. Now, the 144,000 are those who have the got. Here's what it says: gotten the victory over the beast, over his image, and over the mark of his name, and the number of his name. So I want us to think about that. Who's the beast? It's the papacy. Has the papacy already been a beast power? From the year of 538 to 1798, yes? And then it lost its political power, right? So in 1798, it was no longer a beast. And it didn't become a beast again until 1929. Therefore, from the year of 1798 to 1929... The 144,000 couldn't have a victory over the beast because the beast wasn't a beast yet again. Does that make sense? So the 144,000 really couldn't exist until the year of 1929 when the papacy actually becomes a beast again. Does that make sense? Because they, vi- they get their victory over the beast, over his image, over his mark, and over the number of his name. Now... Um, we're going to come back to that. I'm going to go through the identify marks and we'll come back to each one of these. So, identifying number one, victory over the beast. They have, it It says, an experience such as no other company have ever had. Okay? That's identification number two. Number three, it says very clearly, they have been translated from the earth. If you're translated, that means you've what? You never died. Okay? They will be counted... As the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. And when we talk about first fruits, first fruits always precede a harvest. The second coming of Christ is the, is the harvest and 144,000 must just precede that. Okay? We'll get into more of these, each one of these. They will have passed, and this is a key word, through the time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. If you go through the woods, that doesn't mean you just came out the end. You went through it from the beginning to the end. So if you go through the time of trouble, you go from the beginning of the time of trouble all the way through that time of trouble, which is the seven last plagues. You go through all of them. Okay, They will endure the anguish of the time of Jacob's trouble. When's the time of Jacob's trouble? The same period of time. Time of the seven last plagues. They will have stood without an intercessor through the outpouring, final outpouring of God's judgments. When does Jesus cease to be an intercessor? When he walks out of the most holy place. And what immediately falls? Seven last plagues. So there's a number of statements here that puts the 144,000 in the very end of time. Is this correct? They will have seen, notice this is a description of the fourth plague. They will have seen the earth wasted with famine, pestilence, and the sun having power to scorch men with great heat. That's the fourth plague described in Revelation 16. So let's review each one of these eight points. Victory over the beast. The first beast, the papacy. Papacy lost its political power in 1798, did not regain it until 1929. Therefore, the 144,000 would have to uh, live, that should be live, not leave, Live at a time when the papacy was a beast. Uh, when it had political power. So they could not have lived prior to 1929. Which of course, if they lived during the time of the seven last plagues, right, they're end time saints as it is anyway. But this is, this all fits together. Okay? So they've gotta be alive when the papacy becomes a political power again. They have to have victory over the image of the beast. The image of the beast is the uniting of church and state. Do we have the uniting of church and state right now? Uh, maybe a little bit, but not exactly like Revelation says it's going to be. Okay, uh, when the when the we have a, a touch of it because um, procreate is a way in which the state supports some religious education. So there's a little bit of a uniting of church and state there. Uh, faith based initiatives where funding from the federal government goes to churches to do, uh, social type programs is a way of meshing church and state. But the great way in which church and state will be meshed will be, of course, the National Sunday Law. Okay? But this is predominantly yet future. But soon the apostate Protestants themselves will make an image to the beast by uniting church and state and will pass a National Sunday Law. But that, that, Greater fulfillment is yet future. But the 144,000 get victory over this, okay? Um, Victory over his mark. The mark of the beast is the National Sunday Law, okay? Do we have a National Sunday Law yet? Okay, so the 144,000 have to be alive when that is passed to have victory over it, okay? Puts them as an end-time saint, Victory over his number, that's a, a, a very interesting statement. The, the number of the beast is 666. We know that the number of the Pope's title, Vicarious Filii D, meaning vicar of the Son of God, adds up to 666 because each letter had a numerical value. If you add up the value of that name or that title, adds up to 666. But the word vicar could also be interpreted as representative of the Son of God. Or substitute, or instead of, you could translate it that way. So Antichrist, uh, whose number six 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 is really a substitute for Christ, really, um, though he acts as if he's the representative. Okay, or instead of. But what I find interesting in, and uh, in, let me just read this here in Revelation thirteen, where it talks about the number of the beast, and you tell me what the context is. Revelation chapter sixteen verse thirteen, and he causeth of all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to see receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead, and that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark or the number of the beast or the number of his name. Okay, so the, the 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 sentence that talks about the number of the beast is in the context of not being able to do what buy and sell. So there's some association. So the 144,000 are going to live in a time when nobody can buy and sell that are faithful to God, right? They have to have victory over that. And imagine the kind of faith. And God will have other people because as we'll, we'll see, the 144,000 are the first fruits. Well, if they're the first fruits, that means there's there's other fruits, right? Okay. Now, this unique experience, uh, they're going to have a unique experience. Let's statement out of our high calling, page 321. The time of trouble is the crucible that is to bring out, bring out Christ-like characters. It is designed to lead the people of God to renounce Satan and his temptations. The last conflict will reveal Satan to them in his true character, that of a cruel tyrant, and it will do for them what nothing else could do, Uproot them them entirely from, uproot Him entirely from their affections. Imagine living in this world right now, of which the 144,000 are overcoming sin. In fact, by the time you get to the close of human probation, they will have reflected the image of Jesus fully. But when you go through that, and you're making your choices for Jesus, You can still grow, right? Because we're going to be growing throughout eternity. But they have overcome every known sin, had their soul cleansed of sin, reflecting the image of Jesus as much as it could possibly be reflected by a human being in this world. And yet, what they're going to see after the close of probation is Satan in a whole new light. Far more as a tyrant than they would see him today marshalling the world to eradicate people. And which people would be left? The 144,000. I mean, the, imagine people who perfectly reflect the image of Jesus and the devil's going to marshal the armies in the battle of Armageddon to ro- try to wipe them out in one decisive blow. And if you are watching these movements during the plagues and the laws and everything being passed by these governments, which you know are now being... Moved and influenced by who? Satan himself, because the Holy Spirit's been withdrawn. He who's holy, let him be holy still. You imagine what you're going to see. Will it look worse? You know, the angels in the unfallen worlds finally got rid of any possible notion in their mind about Satan when they saw who? Jesus dying on the cross the affections that they would have ever had, any possible affections, were completely destroyed. When they saw God's love in His Son dying for the human race, and Satan himself in the crowd crying out, crucify Him, crucify him. What an absolute contrast. If there was any doubt anymore, so if unfallen worlds... Could go through 4,000 years of human history and it took the cross to finally break any possible sympathy. Imagine what the 144,000 need to see. It's It's almost like the statement saying it's necessary. God actually wants a people in this world who can see evil as it really is. And every possible thread of any possible sympathy, it's gone. Absolutely gone. That's a unique experience. But that happens when we get to the seven last plagues. They are translated. In the book of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, it tells us what translation means. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not what? See death, that's what it means. And was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he, he pleased God. Okay. So the 144,000 are translated saints, not having seen death. Time of trouble. They were told that they would have passed through the time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. And again, that key word is through. From the beginning of the time of trouble to the very end is how they go through the entire time of trouble. Imagine that they go through the time of trouble where they see the first plague and the second plague and the third plague and the fourth plague, fifth, sixth, and the seventh, and you think about some of these plagues, and the first four are not universal, but let's say a third of all the water in the world becomes blood. I mean, that's devastation. You and I have never seen anything like that. We've seen devastations, but nothing like that. You know, you can't survive without water after five days. Now, I don't know, being that these will be not universal, the first four, what parts of the world will experience it most, I don't know. Maybe the ones who had the greatest light and rejected it. Might feel a great severity right here in the U.S. We have great light, great privileges, and yet we will be the nation that empowers the first piece of papacy to regain that lost ascendancy that ultimately will be more responsible than any other nation for throwing the world into this turmoil. I'm not questioning their intentions. They just have no idea what they're doing right now. But it's already starting, friends. It is started. They are the first fruits. This, again, is something offered before, before the Jewish people could harvest their fields. They had to bring their first fruits from their fields. They bring it to the temple, and then they could go back and harvest their fields. So when the 144,000 are the first fruits, that means what's coming? It's harvest time. Harvest is coming. When God has the 144,000, he's ready to come back. He's ready to claim his as his own. So God's waiting for a number, isn't he? So the 144,000, God's waiting for to be able to offer these first fruits unto God and then boom, Christ is on his way okay. Alas, for that day is great so that none is like it, even the time of Jacob's trouble that he shall be saved out of it. Jeremiah 30 verse 7. So we're told that the 144, thousand will go through the time of Jacob's trouble and here we find that it's, it's there's none like it. And when you find a time of trouble as there's never been, like Daniel chapter 2, verse 1, it's referring to the time of what? Seven last plagues. The earth will have never experienced anything like the plagues. Um, I don't know how many people, but it's not all universal, but it's God's people don't experience the, the boils. Could you imagine the world having boils on them and trying to deal that as a health issue? Wow, they're definitely going to look for someone to blame, right? If people are not converted, they never put blame on themselves. There's always somebody else to blame. Someone's a scapegoat. And so when you've got the whole world wondering after the beast, they're not converted. And they got boils. That makes it worse. A collapse economy, boils, and not being converted is a bad moment in Earth's history. A time as there's really never been. And then a portion of the rivers become blood. Part of the oceans. Can't steer ships through blood. Can't run hydro plants through blood. I don't know. 80% of Canada is run by hydro. Not going to be running those oil ships over here for oil. It's going to affect everything. Imagine how people are going to feel at that point. And then the sun scorches the earth? And pe- what's that going to affect? I mean, it's not just that the air conditions are all going to go out. It's just you're not going to be able to grow food. I mean, what are you going to water it with? Blood? Scorching heat? Imagine how, how mad the world will be. It's always somebody else's fault. And it will be blamed on God's people. So the hundred and forty four thousand go through this, but at the time of Jacob's trouble, Jacob was going through what particular kind of experience? He 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 wrestled with who? then we're going through that uh, time. here in a minute. See, then, that we have a great high priest that's passed into the heavens, because it says they, they endure this without an intercessor. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. So Jesus is our great high priest. He ascends into heaven as our high priest to intercede for us. But when Jesus leaves the heavenly sanctuary, he's preparing for his second coming. During this time, the 144,000 must stand without an innocent. So Jesus leaves the most holy place with his garments on, and then he takes them off to put on what garment? heavenly garment, returning as King of and Lord of Lords. How long does it take Jesus to get here? How long does it take before he actually leaves heaven to come here? Well, so I don't think we're happy. Call it a seven-day journey on the way back. We don't know exactly how long the flight is going fall. And we all need to know. All we need to be He'll sit out and righteousness in, and we'll be ready. I mean, this is not working. Huh? Oh, it's not. Okay. So this is a future event. If the 144,000 are living at a time when there's no intercessor, has that ever happened yet? No, because we have an intercessor. So this is still future, isn't it? Okay. And I think this, I don't know if this was our eighth one. It said here, they will have seen the earth wasted with famine and pestilence and the sun having... Power to scorch the men with great heat. So the 144,000 are going to be here during the seven last plagues. They're watching definitely the fourth plague as described here. This again means that they are end time saints. Okay? Now, there are a couple statements that people point to and say no, the 144,000 go back to the time of 1844. And so there will be this statement here about a lady in early writings, page 40. You must go back, and if you are faithful, you with 144,000 should have the privilege of visiting all the worlds and viewing the handiwork of God. Does that say that this lady's one of the 144,000? Let me give you a, an illustration, which I have here at the bottom. There's a couple that goes to a museum. Let's say the Smithsonian, right there in Washington, D.C. There's a lot of exhibits to see. And they go from one exhibit to another exhibit. They're not going with any kind of uh, person who's, um, oh, what do you call them that will explain things, like a tour guide. So they're going along, and then all of a sudden uh, a school group catches up with them, an elementary school, that has a tour guide explaining to the students each one of these exhibits. After a while, the couple watching the and listening to this tour guide now explain things to the students, they decide to go along with the class, the elementary school, and go with them since they have a tour guide, and now they get to hear the explanation. But let me ask you a question. Can I say the couple was among the school class? You know, they were among them, but were they part of the school? No, they weren't part of the school. But they were with the school. They weren't, they weren't a student and they weren't the teacher. But they were singing amongst them. You see, the 144,000 are going to live in heaven. They're going to be in the New Jerusalem. Everyone who's not part of the 144,000 will be seen amongst the 144,000. Simply because they're, everyone's going to be in heaven. Everyone's going to be in the New Jerusalem. But just because we're seen with them doesn't mean we're part of them. Okay. They will be end-time saints. Um, people will bring this statement up because Ellen White describes the holy city and the temple where the 144,000 enter and they say, "Well, if Ellen White can describe what's inside the temple and she saw it, she must be one of them." Is that a true statement? Ellen White saw in vision What's going to happen in the end of time? The Sunday laws. Does that mean she'll be here when the Sunday laws are passed? Daniel saw things thousands of years in the future. You know, because he saw them in the future doesn't mean he'll be there when these things are happening. He was only shown that these things would happen. And so that Ellen White, because she saw the temple where the 144,000 would be, doesn't make her part of them. Okay? Because, as we've seen, they are end-time saints that don't see death. They're translated. Now, I want to talk about the seal of the living God and read you this statement here. Um, Because after Sister White quotes the entirety of Revelation 13, verses 11 through 17, and let's look at that real quick. Chapter 13 of Revelation, beginning with verse 11, is the introduction to the second beast. The United States. And it says, And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. Okay? Then it goes on and says, And he exercised all the power of the first beast before him, causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell near that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. So what I'm reading right now, is: has this happened or is it future? It's still future, listen to this. Verse 15, he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause, that as many would not worship, the image of the beast should be killed. That's future, isn't it? He causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark on his right hand or in his forehead, and that no man might by herself save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. That's still future. So this, after she quotes these verses, she says this. This is in the seventh volume of the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, page 976. This is the test. What's the test? What we just read in Revelation 13. That's the test. This is a test that the people of God must have before, before they are sealed. All who prove their loyalty to God by observing his law and refusing to accept a spurious Sabbath will rank under the banner of the Lord God Jehovah and will receive the seal of the... Now, that's a pretty clear statement, isn't it? Now, does that mean that none of us are sealed at this point? No. It just means there's two different seals. Okay? If you're a Christian, you've been born again, you've been sealed by the first seal, the seal of the Holy Spirit. So there's two seals. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 says, In whom ye also trusted, of course this is first century Palestine, After that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, Also, whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed with the spirit of promise. So people have been sealed with what? The Holy Spirit. Which is different than the seal of the living God, because that's not given until the end of time. Until after the events of Revelation 13, right? That means there must be two different seals. The seal of the Holy Spirit, and then the seal of the living God. Okay? There's another verse here. Um, It's in Revelation. uh, Revelation chapter 9. I know we covered this a little bit before. But Revelation chapter 9, verse... um, Let's see, verse four, chapter nine, verse four, speaking under the the fifth trumpet, which would be past. Okay, that'd be a future past a past event. It was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, nor any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. So even in the past, people could have the seal of God in their foreheads or the seal of the Holy Spirit, but not have the seal of the living God. Which is a second seal. It's, a, it's something that happens after these events of Revelation 13. Okay, What we need to understand is what's the difference between them. And this first seal is the new birth experience. And it's, it's probably best described here in Acts chapter 2. Let me see if I have that verse up here. Yeah, Acts chapter 2 verse 38. This is the first seal. Repent and be baptized. This is Peter saying this. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins or the forgiveness of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, that when you first receive the Holy Spirit. When you give your sins to Christ, He takes them and you're forgiven. Then in return, He gives you the Holy Spirit to live a new life. You confess your sins, you give them to the sin, your sins to Christ, He takes them, He now bears them. But he needs to give you something for those sins. Because the gospel is not just about giving your sins to Jesus. It's about receiving something in return for those sins. To receive the Holy Spirit so that now you can go live a new life and not commit those sins anymore. Right? And that's the work of the Holy Spirit, the, the work of the first seal. It says, Jesus said in John 3, 5, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit... He cannot enter the kingdom of God or see the kingdom of God. So we have to receive the first seal, the seal of the Holy Spirit, which prepares us to receive what? The second seal. Okay? So notice what happens just before people receive the second seal. Notice what's happening in history. It's at the end of time. For the day... For the great day of his wrath has come, who shall be able to stand? That's Revelation six nineteen, And what precedes that is islands being moved, right? Mountains coming down, you know. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a future event. We've not seen this. But when the world is just thrown completely out of commotion, everything destroyed, the question is, who's going to be able to stand during this time? It's a logical question, right? But there's an answer. And I saw another angel ascend from the east, having to seal the living God. Because the answer to the question, who's able to stand, is 144,000. And so I saw another angel ascending from the east, having to seal the living God, heard not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. So that place is the seal of the living God just prior to seven last plagues. But all along, from the earliest time people could believe they could receive what? The Holy Spirit, the first seal, Preparatory to receive in the very end, if you so happen to be that last generation, the seal of the living God. Okay. So, those who receive the seal of the living God, so there's, there's, there's a number of things I want us to see associated with the seal of the living God. Those who receive the seal of the living God are protected in a time of trouble must reflect the image of Jesus fully. What do we learn from that about the seal of the living God? There's probably two things in that statement. The seal of the living God, first of all, has something to do with protection. So when we saw the Noah film, the days of Noah, the door of the ark was shut or sealed, and then what came? The flood. And by I mean, if the door had not been shut or sealed... They don't survive inside that, that ark, right? So God sealed them in to protect them from what's outside. So here you have God's people be sealed with the seal of the living God just before the seven last plagues fall. But what's also associated with the seal of the living God is to reflect the image of Jesus. So people will receive it if they what? Reflect the image of Jesus, right? And the only way to reflect the image of Jesus is if you've been cooperating with uh, the first seal, the seal of the Holy Spirit. Because it's the work of the Holy Spirit to plant that seed of Jesus in you that we've been talking about, the seed principle. The Holy Spirit plants the seed, the seed of Jesus in you, and the life of Jesus begins to unfold in you, and you begin to reveal, like the image of Jesus. Okay? Okay? Notice this in early writings. Satan was trying his every art to hold them where they were until the sealing was passed, until the covering was drawn over God's people, and they were left without a shelter from the burning wrath of God in the seven last plagues. You see, even Satan knows what the seal of the living God is about. He's trying to get us to still keep sinning until the sealing time is over so that we don't receive the seal of the living God so that we're not protected when the seven last plagues fall. Does that make sense up there? Okay. So, so the seal of the living God has something to do with protection, though predominantly it has to do with the finishing touch of cooperating with the Holy Spirit in your life that sin is, is sealed out. So, now I want to look at a statement here. Um, that talks about the second seal the seal of the holy uh, seal of the living god in early writings page 48 when jesus leaves the sanctuary future event then they who are holy and righteous will be holy and righteous still for all their sins will have been blotted out and they will be sealed with the seal of the living god and that's a very interesting verse because right now we can't say those who are holy be holy still. We can't say those who are unholy will be unholy still. Because there's time for people who are unholy to still be holy. And there's time for people who are holy to be unholy. Because probation is still lingering right now. But there comes a time when Jesus leaves the most holy place and all the intercession is gone. Every case is decided. He who is holy will now be holy still. And he who is unholy will be unholy still. Nothing's going to change after that point. But notice what happens at that point. Their sins are blotted out. People's sins are not blotted out yet. Not until every case has been decided. So the last thing Jesus is going to do when he leaves the most holy place is to do what? Blot out the sins. And then those who among, amongst the 144,000 will receive the seal of the living God while still in this flesh, because they reflect the image of Jesus fully, because they've overcome every sin, and so in this life their sins can be blotted out. Why they're still alive and receive the seal of the living God, and then go through the seven last plagues. Because they've received the seal of the living God, which will protect them. It has sealed them. They have fully cooperated with the Holy Spirit, have sin sealed out of their life, righteousness sealed in. And now they can stand without an intercessor. But everybody before that, and I think this is the next slide. So, the first seal, the seal of the Holy Spirit... And this is really an important principle. What's the Holy Spirit trying to do as far as sealing? How many here do canning? Can fruit or anything, do canning. Now, if you have in that jar things that contaminate and you seal it, what happens inside? It gets all moldy, doesn't it? So what's the Holy Spirit trying to seal? Seal in. Only that which is good. And what's he trying to seal out? Anything that would contaminate. Right? That's the work that the Holy Spirit begins in your life the day you accept Jesus and you become a Christian. That work begins right from where you are. There's thoughts to overcome, feelings to overcome that are wrong, erroneous ideas, habits, whatever they may be. He says, I'm going to cleanse you. I'm going to seal you. I'm going to work with you day by day. And as you continue to grow every day, sin's being sealed out and righteousness being sealed in. So every day, we have the opportunity for what to happen inside of us. Sin being sealed out, righteousness being sealed in. Right? That's cooperate with the Holy Spirit. The 144,000 understand this. They understand that every day is important. Every day is a sealing experience no days to throw away every day becomes important you want to learn something new about Jesus something that draws you closer to him something that makes you more like him and then get rid of those things that are unlike him every day now are we going to know how we're unlike Jesus hundred percent in one day? no it is the work of a lifetime it's ongoing. But the 144,000 have a unique experience that nobody else has because they've been experiencing this ceiling every day because they take every day that important. They don't worry about tomorrow, and they're not paralyzed by the past. They can't change the past. So what they say, I have today. That's all I have. And if I make the best of today in working with Jesus, something's going to happen inside of me. I will have righteousness sealed in and sealed, sent out. But if I borrow tomorrow, I worry about this and worry about this and worry about this, I just stole from today. I just stole away my opportunity to be sealed today. To experience more sealing power of the Holy Spirit. Right? Every day becomes important, friends. We know what's going to happen in the future. Don't worry about it. God's already taken care of it. He warns us of it. He says, just cooperate with the Holy Spirit and have sin sealed out, righteousness sealed in. So, the thief on the cross. Did he experience the first seal? Absolutely. The seal of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, Thou shalt be with me in paradise. Was he prepared to receive the seal of the living God? Did he reflect the image of Jesus fully? No. But will he? Yeah, not in this life. He doesn't have a life in this life anymore. He was only a believer for what? A matter of hours. But the process began. That's what's important. Is the direction we're going in. If we're cooperating with the sealing of the Holy Spirit. So he's not going to receive the seal of the living God until after he's been what? Resurrected. The only people who receive the seal of the living God in this life is the 144,000. But that doesn't mean they're the only ones who receive it. It's just that they're the ones who receive it now because they're the ones who get to full maturity and overcoming sin in their life. Does that seem like a fair statement? Now, the seal of the the seal of the living God. The Sabbath of the fourth commandment is the seal of the living God. It points to God as the creator and as the and is the sign of his rightful authority over the beings he has made. The 144,000 understand that they belong to God. How many people in our world believe that? How many people believe as if they're their own God? And I'm not saying they go around worship themselves. But they live their life as if there's no God. As if there's no Ten Commandments. As if Jesus didn't teach us anything. How many people live their life according to the Ten Commandments, the parables of Jesus, and the life of Jesus? Because not that many people. And if you and I don't spend time, if the world doesn't spend time looking at what God says, then they're listening to what man says. So whose authority are they looking to? Did you see what the seal of the living God's associated with? It is people being sealed who recognize that God has full authority in their life. They know he's the creator. They know he's the ruler. And they live their lives accordingly. Isn't that something? And that's what Sabbath keeping is really all about is the acknowledgement that God alone has the authority in your life. Not man. And if man asks you to do something that's not according to God's word, then it's God's authority. You do what God says. Right? I don't know how I accomplished that, but I did. So, but we do need to close. But let me just kind of summarize. I feel it's very clear the 144,000 are end time saints. They receive the seal of the living God in this fallen flesh. Stand without a mediator in this fallen flesh. Go through the time of trouble in this fallen flesh. Because. Not because they have money. Not because they have positions. Because of their relationship with Christ. It's because of what they allow God to do in them. Years ago, I I knew a lady, this couple, and uh, the wife wound up having MS. And uh, as it progressed, she couldn't wash the clothes, she couldn't cook the meals couldn't iron her clothes. She couldn't do all these things she wanted to do for her husband. She used to be able to do these things. But the disease took that from her. In her heart, she wanted to do this. And she couldn't. We are not able to do what God wants us to do. But there is a Holy Spirit who is fully capable of empowering us to do everything Jesus did. Everything. And when we don't let Him, you know how He feels? Just like the lady with MS. I can do this. But you gotta let me. The Holy Spirit can feel kind of crippled not being able to do it, to do what He's perfectly able to do, if we just let Him. He's so desperate. He so desperately wants to see the seed of Christ unfolded in Him. He wants everyone in this room to receive the seal of the living God in this flesh. He doesn't care how much money you have or what positions you hold or degrees that matter to him. All he's looking for is people who allow him to do what he's perfectly able to do. That's it. How often? Every day. You imagine living a day like that every day for the next 365 days in a row that you and I allow the Holy Spirit to do everything He wants to do. Everything He shows us is a promise. That's how we prepare ourselves to receive the seal of the living God. This is how we strive to be amongst the 144,000. There's no other way of getting there. We can't do it ourselves but believe that He's able. And so right now, before the seal of the living God is placed upon God's people, right now we're to strive and cooperate with the Holy Spirit right now to allow Him to do in us that perfect work of everyday sealing sin out and sealing righteousness in. And there's nothing more you can do, right? You know? There's nothing any more to worry about. You do your jobs. But your first job is your relationship with God and then your family and then your work. Have that straight. God first. Put God first. And that's the way you put family next. You'll be a better family member by putting God first. And then to me, work does come after family. But so that means... Worship time together, prayer together. Say to one another, how can I pray for you today? Because in your mind, whether it's your son or your daughter or your spouse, how can I help them become more beautiful in Christ every day? And if you answer that question every day, does it affect you? I mean, if you are personally thinking about, how can I help my wife be more beautiful in Jesus today? Did I just become more beautiful in Jesus? If I can help my son or daughter become more beautiful in Christ am I now more beautiful in Christ? you know it's you just take the people in your circle you don't know, we don't know everybody in the world. we only know so many people and if we're dedicated to do that then sins can be sealed out and right, righteousness can be sealed in. you take your sphere of influence that God has given you you take it seriously. You pray about it. Let God teach you how to say the right things the right way at the right time. And positive things are going to happen. Right? Everybody's uh, got the power of choice. But you give your loved ones the best opportunity to make the best decisions that will have eternal consequences. Don't worry about tomorrow, friends. Don't be paralyzed by your past today. Let's cooperate with the Holy Spirit in that first seal and prepare to receive the second. Okay? Before we have our closing prayer, we have a closing hymn.
1: Closing him 602 and please stand when you find it.
0: this hymn. But I know God had to choose it. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we know Jesus is coming soon. And Father, help help us to encourage one another to remain faithful unto thee, to grow in our daily experience, to share precious thoughts about Jesus with one another, to be often in prayer and study, and doing the kinds of works that bring glory to your name. Father, we know each day is important and time is short, so help us to make the most of each day to cooperate with the perfect work of the Holy Spirit, to perfect us in Christ, that we may have his thoughts, his feelings, see people, treat people as he did. And so, Father, may this work be done in us as we allow the Holy Spirit to do that perfect work. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name, amen.